0: Three, two, one. What? Reversal of fortune. That's why I tell my friends everything happens for seriously, a Seriously, you had one job. I, just, I, I can't Jeez. with some of these people. I look down your goddamn cell phone. I don't think my dad even knows how to use a computer. Uh, Would you rather? Right, trust me, take no, my advice. No, but seriously, that legit happened. Hello, Namaste, Shalom, and welcome to Nervous Habits, episode twenty-one. I'm your host, Ricky Rosen, and as I mentioned in the last few episodes, today I have a guest on with me who I'm going to introduce momentarily to talk about a topic that lies at the intersection of nutrition and sociocultural norms, and that's vegetarianism. We're going to discuss what the most challenging and rewarding components are of committing to a vegetarian diet, as well as the problematic elements of Americans' swelling appetite for meat, and finally, with the growth of companies like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat's Will we all end up being vegetarians 20 years from now? All that and a whole lot more on this week's episode of
1: nervous habits.
0: keep those emails coming guys uh, nervous habits podcast at gmail.com nervous habits podcast at gmail.com also feel free to um, write in on Instagram uh, with you know feedback if you've listened to an episode and you have questions or you want to clarify I know in the last episode 20 um, i shot a couple of, of things out to the general audience so don't be shy about sending those in and happy to um, you know get back to you uh, in a timely fashion. So I would now like to introduce our guest, and and this is the first guest that we are um, having on remotely. A lot of my other guests have done in person, um, you know, podcast appearances. So remotely uh, via Discord, Uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Er uh, Can you hear me, Eric? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, fantastic, Um, Eric. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to come on to Nervous Habits. And just so you know, the the listeners know about your background. Um, you are a recent graduate of Harvard Law School, and you just complete uh, completed the, the bar exam in, in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's
1: right. Um, yeah, and, uh, introduced through a, through a mutual friend, uh, and yeah, I'm a, a fan of the podcast. I'm really glad
0: to to be talking with you today. And well, first of all, I mean, are, are you are you alive right now? Or did did you have time to get to catch? <laughs> you, you had time to catch up on sleep to kind of rewire your brain to, to think uh, outside of the yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I, mean, I basically
1: been a couple days. Um, and this is probably the most, uh, adventurous thing I've done
0: in quite a bit. So, Oh my God. Yeah. So, um, yeah. well future lawyer, uh, and, and just so our listeners know is, do you know what, what area of law are you going to be practicing? Is it going to be, uh, animal, animal rights law? Is it going to be any uh, working for the FDA, anything related to, to nutrition or, or not so much?
1: Uh, no, not really. It's, uh, I'll, I'll be doing, um, Next couple of years, I'll be doing I'll be doing research, uh, but not anything explicitly related to uh, animal rights.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, so I want to kind of set the scene for today's discussion with, um, you know, by addressing the question of why why America, right? Like, like I think right. if you if you take a snapshot of Um, all the industrialized nations and how much meat they consume. Um, And there was a Gallup poll done actually back in 2018, which I'm going to link at the end of the episode. But uh, you look at other comparable nations, Eric, you have India. India has a vegetarian population of 31%. Mexico has a 20% vegetarian population. Even Canada is close to 10%. Right now, um, according to the Gallup poll from last year, Only 5% of Americans identify as vegetarians, and 3% identify as vegans, and we're going to distinguish between those categories later in the pod. Um, There is reason to believe that that will change, but just to kind of set the scene, Eric, I mean, why do you think Americans love their meat so much? I imagine a lot of it's kind of
1: been historically ingrained. Uh, A lot of, I guess, I'm sure a lot of subsidies to the uh, agricultural industry don't, don't help uh,
0: there but yeah I, I, I think I agree with you I think his, his, historically um, culture you know certainly comes down to it. if you look at like cuisine in certain parts of the country I would imagine um, you know meat plays plays a large part and I mean you think about m- American cuisine compared to you know Japanese or uh, Mediterranean American cuisine is, is barbecue is is you know baby back ribs and uh, a t-bone steak so I think meat's a big part of that and to your point genera- generationally I think that um, there's been a trend there. But there is reason to believe that this will change. I think that you know, in 2019 in America, what we're seeing right now is a rising wave of vegetarianism. Some of it is people are more social justice oriented, more focused on what they're putting into their bodies from a health perspective. But also from an environmentally and sustainability perspective, they're concerned about their carbon footprint. And we know that eating, eating meat does a lot of that. So I think what we're seeing is people are making conscious decisions to become vegetarian more and more today as opposed to 10, 15 years ago. Would you agree with that assessment?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think I would. Uh, I do think there's a little, a little bit of like conflicting data. Uh, I, I definitely think the number of people who self-identify as vegetarian has definitely arisen, but I think you know, looking at um, the number of people who actually just don't consume meat, uh, depending on how you... Kind of worth the numbers are still pretty low. Uh, I'm not sure what kind of figures uh, you've seen, but I, I, from what I remember, I, I think the the numbers are still, you know, I think the number of people who identify as vegetarian is anywhere I guess between two and six percent. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's still it's still been pretty low, and I think um, I think obviously you know in comparison to a lot of the other numbers you've thrown out, with India 31. Uh, percent even Canada, a much higher number. I think we would
0: build love. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the difficulty is, you know, is how do you characterize? How do you define what it means to be vegetarian? Because let's say, I mean, I'm sure you have friends anecdotally who watch a documentary. There was one Food Inc. Um, I mean, there's a there's a bunch out there, and they see how these animals are treated in, in you know the the industrial, excuse me, the factories. They look behind the iron curtain, and they become vegetarian for a month. But then you know they're out with their friends on a Saturday night. They've had a little bit to drink, and they're gonna you know go to McDonald's and and, and get a burger and uh, you know an eighteen pack of chicken nuggets. So like well, I guess something so, something to clarify is you know these numbers are self identification. So if someone yeah. you know is a vegetarian and then it's it's a fad, it's a trend. I mean, just based on your experience, either yourself or with your friends, do you find that when people make the decision to to become vegetarian? Is it is it a permanent thing or is it a passing um, you know decision where they go back to eating meat for for a long time just based on what you've seen and experienced?
1: Yeah, I would. I think um, look, I think generally speaking, it's very difficult to make the jump. Uh, you know, I, and, and people obviously come to vegetarianism from a lot of different uh, motivations uh, and perspectives. Like you said, a lot of people watch a, a documentary um, and kind of be persuaded by the emotional appeal of that. Uh, others might do it. Yeah, you, know, you can do it from health reasons, ethical reasons, environmental. Get into my own motivations uh, in a second, but I, I think generally it is it is pretty difficult to maintain. Uh, it'd be difficult to to say um, even anecdotally what uh, what percentage of people uh, tend to stick with it for an extended period of time. But right. I I would say it's it's there. I mean. In,
0: in my in my case, for example, it, it, it can be very difficult to, to maintain. Uh, well, well, let me ask you. Just, uh, yeah. yeah, let me. I mean, I mean, let me ask you. I mean, you, you're gonna be you're gonna be a lawyer. You're gonna be. Uh, I, I don't know what's yeah. what side. Whether you're gonna be um, if you're in litigation, defending or or prosecuting. But let me let's say hypothetically that you you had a child and you wanted to convince, or you know, maybe you wanted to convince a jury, uh, not to eat meat. I mean, what are, what's, what's wrong with eating meat? Like, what are all the arguments you touched on it a moment ago? Um, you know, whether it's health or environmental, what's, I mean, what's, what's wrong with, with a diet, um, that, you know, that involves eating meat five, six days a week? Right.
1: (laughs) Well, obviously, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit loaded. I'll I'll call, I'll start with, you know, kind of my perspective. Absolutely. Um, You know, just for, from just a basic animal welfare perspective, uh, you know if if a you think you know suffering is bad b you think animal suffering is suffering, and c you think that eating uh contributes to animal suffering then it kind of follows that uh animal eating animals is is kind of bad from that perspective mm-hmm. um you know and obviously there there's kind of other uh ways you can go about it uh, there's the the environmental perspective which I'm a little bit less familiar with, but just the fact that eating meat in the agricultural industry can uh, contributes anywhere between ten to twenty five percent of greenhouse gases. Right. Uh, and you know, from the health perspective, which I'm even less familiar with and maybe a little bit more dubious about, is just that well, eating meat is a little bit uh, particularly healthy. But just you know, the the basic animal welfare argument that I kind of touched upon uh, is kind of where I would um, where I would come. At- from it also, I think, is just maybe a little bit the most straightforward and a little and probably the most intuitive.
0: Absolutely. I mean I I can kind of fill in a couple of the dots with the environmental perspective. Um you touched on greenhouse gas emissions. I think that that's that's a, a very big part of, of the argument. But there was actually an article in Business Insider a couple of years ago where um the the contention was that um meat eaters People who who eat meat, you know, seven days a week, would squeeze the worldwide water supply dry by 2050. And 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 again, like everyone is out there with you know with with studies with empirical evidence to support their claim. But the argument that uh, was posed in the Business Insider article, Eric, was that a calorie of meat requires 10 times as much water to produce as a calorie of food crops. And so the planet's water. Sources which are already drying up, it would be exacerbated, um, you know, if, if we universalize that and everyone's eating meat. So that's part of the environmental perspective. And then with health, I mean— Uh, if you're looking at, you know, you want to operate at a calorie equilibrium, you're burning as many calories as you're taking in. Um, You know, if you're eating a burger or, uh, you know, some meatloaf or, uh, you know, a plate of chicken wings, that's a lot of calories. That's a lot of, uh, you know, saturated, unsaturated fats. Um, It's a lot of protein. So I think from that perspective as well. Uh, Now, I kind of want to focus on, on what your experience is um, for a moment, and and I have a feeling based on what you just said that a lot of it comes down to the ethics of, of it. but I mean, when did you make the decision uh, to become a vegetarian, and what was kind of your thought process personally
1: right so i uh, I'd say I was always kind of vaguely sympathetic to some of the you know animal welfare arguments. Uh, I think when I kind of had the motivation to Legitimately, become vegetarian uh, was was in college, and it was a combination of sort of a, a being kind of explicitly confronted with a few of the uh, philosophical or ethical arguments um, along the lines of the ones I just kind of alluded to, and then b I was kind of you know when I was especially second, third, and fourth year of college, when I had access to a kitchen um, and could you know was able to make my own meals when it's, when I. Um, sort of decided that it was kind of a little bit less, a little bit less justifiable to to eat meat, and a little bit easier to 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 leave to, to lead a, a somewhat vegetarian lifestyle. So, I guess that was say mid 2012, and up to about now, I've been. And uh, there are, though, you know, we we kind of touched upon the sort of self-identifying labels of vegetarianism and what that consists of. Uh, we can kind of get into you know how I kind of define that and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'd say that's kind of the motivation. So that you know, was about seven years ago. And and yeah, it's difficult to maintain. Um, there are a few other aspects that are a little bit difficult, but I I would say you know, I kind of came out it from a sort of ethical or philosophical standpoint.
0: And let me ask you, um, number one, could you just kind of elucidate for the audience what the distinctions are between being a vegetarian compared to vegan and pescatarian? And number two, why did you opt to be a vegetarian instead of a vegan or pescatarian?
1: Yeah, so, all right. Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So, I'd say probably the most common kind of nomenclature and the way those things are defined is, you know, vegetarian and ogo-lacto-vegetarian, which basically means you still eat egg and dairy. And that's essentially um, what I would identify myself as there's a there's lacto-vegetarian which basically means you just uh consume dairy products but no uh, and obviously no meat there's vegan which essentially means that you uh don't do dairy products either so uh, basically no animal products whatsoever and then pescatarian which basically means you can you don't eat meat but you do uh eat fish and there's a few other kind of distinctions around there, but I think that's common, probably the most common way it's broken down. As for the reason why I am a self-described ovo-lacto vegetarian as opposed to a vegan, uh, I mean, if I'm just being honest with you, it's honestly just uh, laziness and hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I really it just—it's very dif- like I still I, I like eggs. It's very difficult to uh, to stop. Consuming.
0: <laughs> I actually leg- legitimately had had a plate of eggs before we came on <laughs> before we came on to do the podcast because uh, I and we're and we're going to talk about protein intake later on, but because I, I just worked out and an egg is a really good source of protein following a workout, so I I totally sympathize with you there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate, it. <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of the, the main thing. I mean, look, milk I think is it's a little bit a little more justifiable uh, from an animal welfare standpoint just because. Uh, there's there's a lot of people that try to quantify, I guess, kind of like the suffering caused by, say, a kilogram uh, consumed of different products. You know, by most calculations, a lot of them are kind of you know, crude and have a lot of built-in assumptions. But milk, uh, by a lot of estimates, is about, you know, say, a thousand times more ethical than a lot of the other options, um, just because, you know, it's just cows can produce a lot of milk and, um and just it's 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 when you compare that to say the amount of suffering of you know a, a hen that's in you know just a tiny cage just basically any other type of kind of uh domestic sorry farmed, farmed uh, uh mass-produced animal products you kind of there's just a lot of less marginal suffering involved with uh, milk
0: products got you but yeah
1: the next the thing the X thing is just like it's pure hypocrisy.
0: <laughs> Listen, you should not be held to a higher standard than than the rest of the world, um especially since it sounds like you're doing a lot to curb your carbon footprint and to set a great example. So there's there's you know no issue there. But, you know, I, I do want to ask you a question though because I think in the last 5-10 years, you've seen a movement towards um or orga- towards eating organic, uh towards, you know, eating eggs from um cage-free chickens or free free-range animals. Or grass-fed, cow- uh, excuse me, grass-fed uh, cows instead of corn-fed cows, and you know, I know you can't speak for all vegetarians, but does that does that do anything for you in terms of easing, alleviating your anxieties about animal welfare and animal suffering? If you were to to eat meat and it's it's from a, a free-range chicken, a cage-free chicken, or a grass-fed cow, or to or or is it just that in general it's the practice that that you know that, yeah. that you're morally opposed to?
1: Well, yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, for me, you know, it definitely does make a difference. I would say, yeah, you know, that kind of argument I laid out before, where it's like, uh, look, if you think suffering is bad and animal suffering is suffering, and you think that eating animals um, leads to uh, more animal suffering than you know eating animals is bad, so you know that that sort of third premise, the you know if you think uh, eating animal products leads to excess suffering, that was at least in you know in my view, that's that's definitely dependent on the facts of the world and the facts of uh, the animal industry. You know, if we lived in a world where you know free range chickens enjoyed like a great life, um you know, and it was there was just no suffering at all involved with, you know, the lives of farm raised animals, um, or even, you know, were killed ethically, you know, with, <laughs> with with no suffering involved, uh, it's kinda of I mean there. But I would I would say yeah, that's that's at least in, in line with that with kind of philosophical worldview, I would say there's there's actually nothing wrong in even going farther and saying, well, if if the only way that a lot of these animals are living in the first place, uh are living a great life is because there's a demand for you know the animal industry, then you would almost have to say it's more ethical to to eat animals if that's what's kind of leading to overall, you know, positive well being for for animals. Um, though obviously <laughs> that raises a few other ethical questions anyway where you know it, it, like you know for a lot of people it's not just the the suffering or lack of suffering but just you know the fact that you're you're killing a sentient being uh, regardless of whether or not they, they lived a, uh,
0: a good life this is interesting to me eric i mean do you uh, do you have a background in, in philosophy like how familiar are you with different philosoph- philosophical uh theorems and ways of living
1: yeah i i mean i've I've got a pretty decent background in philosophy. I, uh, I studied a decent amount of it in college. Uh, I definitely, I'm on a personal level, I I kind of self-identify as a utilitarian. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm sure for a few that would probably be somewhat clear based off the you know the way I'm describing some of these things. But that's but kind of that's you know when I mentioned this philosophical motivations for becoming vegetarian, that's it was definitely reading a lot of philosophical works by say Jeremy Bentham John Stuart Mill Peter singer is maybe
0: one I was literally I I, I, I think we share our brain because you're you're, you're, t- you're taking you're taking all my talking points here I was gonna say that because uh, because I also studied uh, philosophy in college and it sounds like if you are a utilitarian that you would identify with John Stuart Mill um, you know right. uh, the the least suffering for the least people and of course Peter singer was a prominent animal uh, rights activist and he was one of the first to kind of apply Mills utilitarian Ism to to animals. So it sounds like to me, um, you subscribe to that ideology, although there might also be <laughs> yeah, exactly. some, you know, moral absolutism um, in you as well, saying that under no circumstance is suffering justified, or maybe it's relativistic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say, uh, sure, it's relativistic in the sense that, look, things would be better if there was no, you know, there's, like, pleasure is better than pain, I guess, from a standpoint, um, well-being is better than suffering, but I guess, you know, not to get too esoteric, but I'm also, I don't, I'm a determinist and don't really believe in free will or moral culpability, so while I do think things would be better a certain way, it's not really coupled with any sort of, like, moral condemnation if we, you know, say if, if someone does consume me, I think, oh, well, things would be better if we did there's no kind of sense of saying, like, Shame or uh, moralizing in the absence of kind of the ideal situation, if that makes sense. <laughs>
0: Got you. A- absolutely. All right. So, uh, Counselor Martinez, I-, I-, I think I omitted your-, your last name when I did the introduction, Mister. 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 Martinez. So we're g- we're gonna jump back into the ethics um, later on, but but I do want I do want to get a little more specific for our listeners. So. Just to be clear you know you you said you've been vegetarian since college on and off for the most part though maintaining the vegetarian diet. Walk me through for the most part whats your what's your routine is in terms of um you know in terms of uh your your meals are you know are you getting enough calories and, and nutrients without the meat
1: yeah i think uh so sure, in terms of you know like an everyday like menu i guess yes uh, breakfast is probably pretty you yeah. uh, know a lot of not not of meat eaters. Breakfast is just kind of like oatmeal. Uh, sometimes, you know, with say with uh, like brown sugar, cinnamon, almond milk. Um, for something like lunch, it's usually, say, like a, either like a tofu dish or um, an egg dish. And, you know, so that <laughs> the, the tofu dish could be pretty unsophisticated. It could be as simple as uh, tofu with ketchup or something. Um, and for dinner, um something similar maybe like a veggie burger uh or something like that yeah it's pretty much uh when you go out to eat a lot of say indian thai um there's a lot of decent amount of veggie options uh here in boston so it's it's not it's not too 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 difficult um in terms of you know let's say when people you know ask uh not getting enough nutrients mm-hmm. you know i it used to be, though, for some reason, not too much recently. It used to be, say, like protein, right? Like, like, how can you get protein?
0: Yeah, when you're a vegetarian. That's uh-huh. yeah, that's very common.
1: Yeah. Uh, so actually, with that, I mean, look, there's kind of, I guess, two response. And with protein, I guess it's a little bit easier. And obviously, the most protein rich source of nutrition you can get is you know protein shake, probably, and uh, most are either. Like casein or whey, which are you know milk or soy-based, which is you know vegan. Uh, if you're you know if you're if you're vegan, it's a little bit more difficult. I'd, you know, tofu has more protein per calories than like a skirt, and say you know lentil, nuts, any type of legume like beans. Uh, those are kind of those are. I, I mean, it's enough to to push over the mark. Of definitely over the mark of the fifty grams that the that they see on the label, uh, and you know even above say like a thirty you know like a thirty percent protein diet. Uh, I'm not sure what <laughs> what people are calling for these days in terms of percentage of protein breakdown. You you obviously know a lot better about that than I would, but uh, I think for the most part it's you can get you know protein. Um, obviously, there's things like B12 iron. And with that, I mean, so with that, I would also say, you know, there's, there's ways, you know, supplement. And so that's kind of like the first response to those sort of objections is to say, kind of get enough. Uh, a second type of objection, a second type of response is to say, well, yeah, like, I mean, I'm happy to concede that it's the most ideal uh, diet in terms of health. Um, but I mean, you know, it's healthy enough, and B, I'm not really doing it on on health ground, so as long as I'm not super suffering, it's totally okay. And uh, in reality, like, the way I'll just respond to that, which it doesn't happen, you know, too often, but I'll just kind of be like, well, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably not that, it's not super healthy, but, yeah, there's a lot of unhealthy things I do. Uh, and I not eating meat is probably <laughs> not very high on the list of those kind of unhealthy.
0: For sure. And, and just, just to kind of clarify, though, I mean, in terms of health, the according to the American Heart Association, meat eaters have a 32 percent higher risk of developing heart disease than vegetarians. So this is totally this is totally relative. I mean, yes, your risk of heart disease is greater, or yes, your risk of heart disease is lower when you when you have to be a vegetarian, which is great. But on the other hand, to your point, you might be forsaking you know protein or um, you know certain iron and, and certain electrolytes and nutrients and minerals that are valuable. So I, I think it's 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 all a you know a um, a trade off ultimately. I, I do want to ask you though. So okay, so here's like my psychological perspective on on why I, I find it hard to reconcile the idea of being a vegetarian. I I can't I I, I can't I'm not sati- satiated with just vegetables and you know rice and beans and legumes. When I think about like a meal versus a snack. If I'm having a plate of rice and beans, to me that's always a snack. But then you in, you introduce yeah. chicken or beef into it and it becomes a meal. So there have been many times where I've had a meal um of you mentioned Indian food, Thai food, um noodles, pasta, what have you, and I'm just not satiated. And I think I don't I don't know yeah. if there's some element of um, you know, like a psychological sleeper effect or something, but I don't feel like I'm getting what I need from from food without eating meat, and I don't know if, if you've spoken to other people who um, are meat eaters and that's been part of the, the conception. But if I don't eat meat for a meal or a day, something just feels wrong. That's just that's just what my experience yeah. is. Have, have you heard from uh, you know from friends or family members who've who've said something similar?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I I definitely you know I, I sort of still have the same kind of intuition. Uh, I, nobody in my immediate family. Like, and it's either I'm blinking or nobody else in my extended family is really vegetarian. So it's, I think it's totally common sentiment. Um, and you know, we'll probably get into this kind of later, but I think maybe one of the biggest bottlenecks in terms of people, uh, becoming a vegetarian in the future. I mean, you know, we'll probably get into things like impossible meat, right? beyond meats in the future in you know, uh, in a little bit, but I totally get that. And, uh i think i mean it's it's definitely it's it's pretty extensive culturally i mean uh i mean my family is cuban and I, every single every single meal i think uh e- even the beans and rice have have meat in them it's like uh it's very difficult to uh i think the, the you know the notion of, of meal and meat is, is kind of one of the same in a
0: lot of cultures. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I just think about, you know, you go to a wedding and, and you're, are, are, you're also 27, correct? Uh, 26. 26. Almost all right. So yeah, yeah, almost so all your friends are going to be getting married, you're going to be experiencing this soon. And they always give you three options when you go to a wedding. They give you a chicken, they give you a steak, and they give you a fish. And a lot <laughs> of vegetarians have to get the fish, but, you know, yeah. s- sometimes um, I used to work at a catering hall when I was in like high school for summer, sometimes they just give you like a plate of vegetables or a salad if if you don't yeah. eat meat or fish. And I think that you mentioned the Cuban food, really any cuisine, if you have any cuisine, the the centerpiece is the meat the meat. The meat is, you know, turn on any cooking show. The meat is the center and then everything else revolves around it. Literally. I mean, and how the dish is presented and you know, it's, it's challenging for me if I'm dating someone and I have to cook them a meal and you know, all of, all of my, all of my signature dishes, you know, I make like a, a chicken pesto pasta, make turkey burgers. It involves a meat. So let me ask you a question. I mean, uh, how how has this impacted your your social life your dating life? Um, do you find it difficult if people around you are eating meat? I mean, what's what's been the impact there?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some impacts for sure. I you know socially, I would say, you know, apart from just you know maintaining you know vegetarian lifestyle, the most difficult aspect of it uh, is probably the social aspect, and I don't mean to like you know, I, I don't mean to, like be melodramatic because it's not super. That's super tough. You know, anytime it just comes up, you know, whether or not, you know, with someone, whether or not, you know, it's a good friend or, you know, a first date or something, and it just comes up that you're a vegetarian, there's usually kind of, uh, it's like, yeah, you know, there's a few seconds of a weird silence because yes, the person's kind of unclear, you know, why you're a vegetarian, maybe insecure, confused as to why. And then, you know, after you explain it, explain why, then, you know, <laughs> that feeling kind of, like, kind of uh continue and until you know the, the conversation trips to something else i think you know afterwards people are pretty uh pretty understanding um but you know every once in a while it'll be a little bit awkward if you know you uh you know you go over to someone's house who like knows you're vegetarian and then they accidentally cook something with me yes um, yeah and i mean look i well i'm i i don't I could I could get into reasons why I think it's like justifiable in that sense, but I, I will eat meat I'm not I'm not one of the people what's you know someone will be like oh i you know I, I'm a vegetarian, sorry um I will you know I'll eat meat and I'll try to make it you know not awkward
0: yeah I was gonna say i mean so what uh, what's the etiquette' Because I've been on dates where you know I go out to a restaurant and I'm starving and my eyes are are fixated on that burger. And I find out my date's a vegetarian, you know, if if they bring out this half pound, you know, uh, a piece of, of, of sirloin beef and I'm chowing down, it's bleeding on my plate. I mean, I don't want to make her uncomfortable, but I've been in that situation a lot. Like, like what's, you know, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, no, I, I, it's, I would say even the people I know have been uh, vegetarian for, I'm, I'm, I would say with, there is one exception. I would say if someone's been vegetarian, they're, whole life because, you know, the idea of eating meat is just like repulsive to them. I think in that case, it is, you know, maybe a little bit uncomfortable. But I think most people, most people, you know, became vegetarian after eating meat for a while and are, you know, you know myself included, then are obviously used to the idea of eating meat. I, I think I do know people that uh, are a little bit uncomfortable of the of the idea of themselves eating meat, but, you know, seeing somebody else eating meat probably doesn't you know discuss them in, in any way uh and so i think in that sense you know i'm not sure what the you know the etiquette is uh i think you know on the vegetarian side i think most people would be pretty pretty okay with the person sitting across the eating meat um uh, but i mean i obviously see the you know the you know the awkward situation because i do know that you know there's, there's obviously things kind of going through people's minds uh in that sort of situation. I mean, and look, the same thing happens to me when, you know, I'm a vegetarian and there's say, you know, there's a vegan, uh, you know, sitting across the table, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I-, I think it was, there's this one time with a friend for the first time. Uh, and we, you know, we knew we were, like, you know, we met each other. We-, we knew each other through some sort of like animal uh, welfare thing. And then, you know, we, we go to some vegetarian restaurant and, you know, he goes, Oh, are you vegan? Like, you know, with enthusiasm. And then he looks down at him. My- you know, I've got egg. And then he goes, oh, no. And then it's like, very, <laughs> so I mean, you know, it's, 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 like you mentioned before, it's kind of all relative,
0: uh, you know, I. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Eric, you know, if, if you don't mind being, being candid here, yeah. you know, when was the last time that, that you've eaten meat and, and. How did how did how did you feel? I mean, is it do you regularly have like cheat days? You know, like I can understand if there's a situation where, let's say, the waiter accidentally brings you a you know chicken in your salad, and you don't want it to go away, so you'll eat it. I mean, does that happen a lot? And, and, and if you can just elaborate on that for us,
1: yeah. So uh, there's there's kind of there's situations where I'll eat meat that are you know justifiable, I guess, on my own terms. You know, at least you know pseudo justifiable. And there's others that are just you know plain hypocrisy similar to the fact that i uh we eat eggs for example um so you know hopefully this isn't you know too arcane sounding but so uh, i'm okay with eating meat anytime i don't think it would lead to like an increase in expected animal suffering so let's say if the food's going to uh so you mentioned the chicken and the salad sort of thing um you know if they've already brought out the food um and you know that that food just either going to go in the garbage, or I'm going to be eating it. Then that's sort of something that I'm okay with with eating. I guess uh, you know the last time I ate meat was a month ago, where people invited me over and know um, they cooked lobster, <laughs> and you know it was things cooked, and you know I just, I ate it. Uh, there are there are situations. I guess I will kind of eat meat anyway if, let's say, I go out with friends and, you know, it's community style or something. Um, You know, I'm not gonna, (laughs) I just, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna demand that every single dish that every is gonna be, uh, you know, veggie based. Right. right? And I'm also not, if we order one veggie dish, I'm not gonna be the person that eats every, all (laughs) of the veggie dish, I guess. uh, You know, I'll just kind of basically, the way I'll try to justify it is say, okay, well the dish I would have ordered is going to be a veggie dish. Right? Mm. So then it's like, as if it's the same amount of kind of expected animal suffering. Got you. But you know, like, you know, there's definitely, I, I can, I can definitely see some pushback from <laughs> some more, more committed uh, animal welfare uh, activists. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the main kind of cheat things. And if, and if, and if I had to like, aggregate like, you know, the amount of, the amount of, times I would eat meat, uh, let's say, uh, 97% to 99% take away all those, uh, sorry, if you, if you add in all those, all those times where I'm either eating out with friends, um, or, uh, uh, or eating, or, you know, somebody's kind of, that, that's kind of the, the percentage in which I, I, I won't eat meat, but, uh, but it's actually not that difficult to maintain. It's just kind of those other times. I don't really have the guts to, <laughs> to say anything. Uh,
0: that sort of situation for sure for sure that that's that's really helpful and and you know as I said before uh you're you're holding yourself to your own personal ethical standards, so there's you know n- nobody can step in and say oh you're you know being he- he- hypocritical because ultimately it's a personal decision if if you want to eat meat um so P- PETA and groups like PETA, they allege that um it's not natural for humans to eat meat they they make the case that our digestive system doesn't like meat because humans' intestinal tracts are much longer than uh, carnivores, uh, like those of plant eaters, which gives the body more time to break down fiber and absorb the nutrients from plant-based food. They say that meat causes, um, you know, uh, foodborne illness, according to the Department of Agriculture. Um, they say right. that, you know, meat causes heart disease. They say that. You know we're getting too much protein, um, which results in nutritional deficiencies or insufficient fiber. Um, They say that many of our ancestors, that are humans, didn't eat meat. Um, You know the hunter-gathering societies, and I mean, what's your take on this? Do you think that that as as people, as you know, Homo sapiens, we were, for lack of a better word, designed to to eat other animals, to be carnivores? Do you think that this was a product of Evolution of, of culture? I mean, how, how do you respond to, you know, the case that Pete is making?
1: I definitely wouldn't. I wouldn't be making that argument, first of all. I mean, I am a little bit more dubious about uh, these types of arguments. I mean, uh, I think in general, nutrition, nutrition-based arguments from, you know, from any side, I think it's very difficult to, to establish the, to separate the signal from the noise. And I just don't think we're at a place uh, at least, I would say I'm not in a place where I think the evidence is clear enough to say that meat eating is categorically worse than you know a plant based diet. Uh, I would be a little bit skeptical based off you know you know my own sort of armchair evolutionary biology arguments. But uh, either way, I would think I don't think that's the right. I, I think empirically, I'm I'm not convinced that it's true, and I think rhetorically, I think it does more harm than good because. Uh, I, I think it's easy for, you know, a meat eater to have a counter argument. I'm sure you, you know, I'm sure <laughs> I am sure either you have some or you know, a lot of other people do. And so I guess that's kind of that's my perspective. I just don't I I I feel like there's better arguments to make than the nutrition.
0: Well, I mean, there's no, to your point, I mean, there's no right answer. Like you could survive and live a healthy, you know, nutritionally sound existence on plants, on a plant-based diet because you're getting your fiber, your antioxidants, your fatty acids, phytochemicals, you're getting protein. Like it's, 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 you know, completely pragmatic for you to live that way, Um and meat can supplement that diet, or in some cases it can supersede that diet. so there's I don't think there's any right answer. I think it comes down to ethically you know what do you believe in you know and, and what your value system is and you mentioned earlier we started to dive into the the ethical arguments you talked about animal welfare and animal suffering i don't know if you're comfortable sharing. You know some some facts with our listeners because you know the reality is some of our listeners have seen documentaries on the treatment of animals at the, at the facilities. Some people haven't, um, so I can you know I'll kind of warn people ahead of time that if if you know the contemplating the condition of the mass production mass breeding of animals causes you distress, you probably want to skip ahead five ten minutes. Um, but Eric. Do you, like like what's your uh, you know what kind of knowledge information do you have on this or, or what have you read what have you heard in terms of how animals are treated um, at these factories?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there's yeah, there's obviously uh, there's a lot of data and you know documentaries and and articles of books written I guess on the subject of animal suffering. Uh, it's definitely it's one of those areas where it's, it's pretty hard to. To kind of quantify suffering and so a lot of it is just based off kind of uh you know appeals to the to uh the kind of you know the treatment of um of animals and you know for a really good source of this uh is you know peter Singer's book animal liberation which was that was you know back in the 70s but it's still still pretty it's a pretty good i think resource on on the topic Uh, I think, I mean, just some, you know, some more basic facts are, you know, say, dairy cows have been modified to produce, you know, up to 10 times more milk than they naturally would. Domesticated cows have an average lifespan, you know, normal uh, 20, but, you know, on dairy farms, they're killed, you know, after five to six years. Um, In the case of chicken, uh, uh, there's even, you know, free range chickens, you can you can legally house sixteen thousand of them, you know, in one building, which means that you know you can you can house uh, birds per square meter of space, uh, which kind of you know, goes against you know what you would kind of expect based off sort of free range. Um you know, in the case of pigs, um say, you know, at least in the UK, yeah, about a third of them are, are killed in gas chambers. Uh you know, in the case of fish. Um, you know, three fourths of the world's fisheries are either exploited or depleted. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot of different kind of you know random stats. And then in terms of like you know how that comes into uh, straight up like ethics, there's a lot of kind of crude calculators that kind of try to quantify the amount of suffering. You know, animals suffer. Uh, you know, the ones that we're consuming and. Uh, just, there's this one calculator that I sometimes said, reducing-suffering.org, and, you know, some of the, I think, you know, the estimates you can uh, object to based on some of the assumptions built in, but, you know, for example, like in the case of, like, farmed catfish, uh, they estimate that for every kind of kilogram you consume farmed catfish basically causing about 1,600 uh, days of suffering, or at least, you know, that's how many... Days of Suffering went into that uh, catfish, you know, um, mm-hmm. packaged and prepared for human consumption. It's kind of, there's just kind of some, you know, stats and then how the stats kind of work into, you know, an ethical worldview, I
0: guess. I, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack with what you just said. I appreciate you sharing um, all of that. And, and to your point, there are, so many documentaries so much literature out there that that really provides um a first hand account of or a second hand account of what what's what's happening to these animals i mean just to give you a sense of what i've read eric so i mentioned in a in a past episode we talked about um corn and how uh you know a lot of these um these factories are essentially um, trying to fatten the chickens and, and specifically cows on a, a corn-fed diet um, because it, it's digested you know, more quickly and um, gets converted to fat more quickly than uh, grass-fed. And obviously, it's much cheaper. And the thing is, and, and I, again, I, I apologize if this is unsettling to hear, but corn isn't the only thing that cattle are, are, are fed. I, I read in a book called The Omnivore's Dilemma by Mike Pollan um, that yeah. sometimes what they do is they actually feed cattle um beef scraps, so essentially they will grind up leftover beef scraps and put it into cattle feed um, and it's protein and cattle need protein to to grow and what happened was you know people in in England ended up dying of mad cow disease, which is a fatal brain disease spread by eating the brains of infected animals, and the cows would get the mad cow disease from eating other. Cows this happened um you know and uh, in, in I think it was I think it was uh, uh the nineties and the practice was was banned, but you know there there is still beef tallow uh, fat which is um you know part of the cattle feed and um and it's it's very disgusting to to think about you know the uh, you know the, these these animals being cannibalistic you look at um pictures online of of uh, pigs i mean pigs are social intelligent animals, and they're essentially you know, confined to, um, to space, uh, a, a, almost like a, a cage and they look like sausages, already sausages. They're, you know, okay. sitting in, in their own feces a lot of the time. Um, if you look at how they end up, uh, killing a lot of chickens and, and cows, they have, um, my understanding is they have like a, a cattle gun. Um, and you know, they, they have to, uh you, you know pinpoint the the shot right at the cow's brain, and oftentimes it misses, and they have to do it many times and you know with the chicken if they're uh slicing the head off and, and I apologize for the gruesome imagery um it has to happen you know multiple uh mul- multiple times um and you mentioned gassing the animals i mean there there are so many practices that are being undergone in regards to how these animals are treat- are are treated and a lot of people are willfully ignorant. a lot of people don't um, educate themselves on this. Uh, a lot of it is the information isn't really out there um, and it's a case where we might see a revolution and we'll talk um, in a few minutes about you know what we see in the future with, with consumption of meat but we might see this changing in the next couple of years might be like a um, uh, what was that book?
1: Oh, is it the jungle? Uh, yes
0: thank you by uh, Upton yeah, uh, up yeah. St. Clair so you might see like a, a manifesto uh, you know uh, it's just, uh, journalistic um where the media and we could talk for hours about media coverage but begins to to you know put this out there but I just wanted to share I mean th- that's some of the stuff that I've read about and and I've seen and it's it's very unsettling Eric and I'm sure that that's yeah. um things that you that you're familiar with as well yeah absolutely um yeah, I totally agree with everything. You and so, I guess you know, as we as we look to the future, um, how do you see it's you know 2019, and we obviously have our country's at a crossroads um, socially, and, and I think we're going to see a lot of change. But specifically with the consumption of meats um, evolving in in the next decade in the 2020s. Um, how do you see that changing as, as we yeah. sit here, we said five percent of Americans are uh, vegetarians, vegans is at three percent. Um, do you see that number growing moving forward?
1: Uh, yeah, I definitely I definitely see it growing moving forward. Do I, you know, we kind of touched upon it a little bit before, but I think the, the huge jump will come with uh, you know the the propagation of better meat alternatives, you know specifically beyond and impossible or you know competitors like that um i think that'll that'll be a huge push towards towards you know excuse me vegetarian lifestyle and uh i think also you know with veganism you know i talked to I i have some friends that you know are uh you know vegetarian and vegan and some that that are some are hesitant to become vegan because of say for example the cheese alternatives right now are, are not super great right now <laughs> so uh that's that's one sort of bottleneck from the sort of vegetarian to vegan jump is just cheese alternatives and i think the same thing will is 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 a huge bottleneck with uh with a jump from you know a meat-based to to, to vegetarian diet I, I i think it's it seems plausible to me and, and in fact like you know, we'll, we'll come to a day where, you know, the meat alternatives will a lot better than the meat, um, than the regular, you know, meat options, and, you know, they might, might be a lot cheaper, they might even be healthier, and I think that's when we'll kind of see the, you know, the biggest jump, for sure. I, I mean, it's impossible to say, but I, I imagine we've, we've kind of gotten to a bit of a plateau in terms of just straight up. Uh, vegetarianism and veganism without without good options. I, I think you know we'll have the biggest jump when there's there's very good vegetarian and vegan options
0: for sure. And 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 I wanna I wanna expound upon that a little bit. You mentioned Impossible Foods and Beyond Meats. So right now, um, Beyond Meats is there's a ton of demand for it. If you look at um I don't know I don't know how enmeshed you are in, in the financial markets, but the shares of Beyond Meats has soared over eight hundred twenty percent since its iPO on May second. It's got a market cap of close to fourteen billion, so it's really completely that company is completely um, uh, cornering the market on 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 that product. So for our listeners that aren't familiar with Impossible Foods and Beyond Meats, what exactly um, you know what kind of products do they offer?
1: The ones I've that I think are on like a you know mainstream basis are uh, kind of red meat alternative. So you know instead of having like a veggie patty, it's it's kind of a they offer a product that tends to mimic, or at least you know tends to make a uh, you know a real sort of ground beef. And I I think you know at least you know for what it's worth, I think they do a very good job actually. Uh, I haven't had red meat in a long time, so I actually don't. It's hard to uh, I, I, from what I recall, it tastes very similar <laughs> to uh, uh, a uh, a, r- a real burger. But I, I think it definitely, you know, aesthetically, it looks very, very similar. You know, when it's on the grill. It looks like you're grilling a real a real patty. And uh, they also have you know meatballs that are pretty good. I think I think Burger King was actually gonna gonna be offering some impossible burgers on their menu uh, in a little bit. What I think I think the biggest uh, hurdle, like you kind of alluded to, is just like you know, demand is just so high that uh, that it's tough to get you know supply to meet that.
0: So, let, I mean, let me ask you: if if I gave you uh, a blind taste test, if I if I gave you uh, you know a quarter pound beef burger and a quarter pound yeah. Impossible burger, how number one would you be able to to distinguish between them, and and how similar would the taste be?
1: Uh, oh, that's that's a, that's a good question. I I imagine if. I imagine that they're just a little bit different just because I think the texture of beyond is a little bit different. I think when you, uh, I think when you cut like, feel like cutting it, I think it's a little bit, a little bit different. I think the, the taste is pretty similar. Mm. I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't say, you know, the, the ground beef patty would you know categorically be better. And I, I wouldn't say that beyond would be categorically better, but I do think they're similar enough to where um, at least after a while you would, you would, like, feel like you're not missing out on not missing out on a real burger, which I think is actually, you know, it's different. Like, I think a lot of, like, uh, complaint or gripe among, you know, some vegetarians is, like, after a while you, a, a black bean burger is, you know, even if you might like it, it's it's not the same thing as, as a burger, in the same way that, you know, a turkey burger doesn't taste the same as a ground beef burger. And I think uh, it's a little bit, it, it could be a little bit different with something like beyond or impossible I think uh, the taste is similar enough to where it's like an adequate substitute good or whatever
0: right and it looks like I mentioned that uh, you know the explosion of beyond meat so it looks like um, impossible burgers there's a little bit of a rivalry there is um, was just yeah c- cleared a, a big re- regulatory hurt- hurdle with the FDA um, looks like it's gonna be sold in stores pretty soon the Beyond meat burgers are already there. And the yeah. biggest obstacle um, is whether or not it, uh, whether or not the fact that it contained heme, or hem. it's a, a compound in animal meat that gives it its its bloody look and its iron rich flavor. Whether or not that yeah. was was safe um, to be sold in stores, but looks like that um, approval is is good. And I think that all this you know is to say that consumers, as much as they they love um, you know meat products there, there is a a growing fervor as, as we've said for, um, you know, meatless meats, uh, whether that be because of human health, um, for the, the environment or for, for animal, um, animal use. Uh, so I think that in, in the coming years, you know, it, this is a pretty recent phenomenon. I think, you know, we're going to see more, more of those things offered. And, um, that being said, uh, you know Eric, I, I want to ask you if if there's a listener out there who you know has who identifies with everything we're saying, either environmentally is concerned about the greenhouse gas emissions um, or the resource-intensive land use, has uh, you know uh, issue with the animal suffering, you know sees the, the human health concerns, but just can't make it work pragmatically. Right. What is there is there a solution? Like like what what sort of advice would you give to someone who's dedicated to the cause, but ultimately not willing to, or not able to take that step forward.
1: Yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, I think mean, that's, I don't, I meant to think years before this about, you know, empirically, you know, what's the most effective way to, to become a vegetarian? You know, what's the, the, the easiest kind of method? And I actually don't know really what the, what the best way to, to go about it is. I mean, I do think, you know, a few years down the line, it'll be a lot easier with a lot of really good meat alternatives, I think we're to a certain extent kind of already there in terms of, uh, you know, depending on where you live and which uh, what kind of food uh, options you have available to you. I would say that it's probably better to, if you're gonna try to give up, you know, meat or a type of meat, I would say it's intuitively just based off my own experience and you know, examples, I would say, uh if you're gonna give up say chicken, for example, I would just give it up cold turkey, try not to do any cheat dates cheat days at all, but you know maybe only give up say chicken or uh you know only give up red meat or something, and then kind of you know slowly wean off each type as you go along uh so i think it's it's easier to go off you know a type of meat kind of you know cold turkey than you know every you know, few days have it because I think if you have it you'll you'll definitely want it more. But I think it's also very difficult to just eliminate all the types of foods that, that you <laughs> that you enjoy eating. And so I, I would, you know, maybe try to eliminate one type at once, but, you know, kinda of know your own psychology. And, you know, again, I'm kind of in a safe situation. I <laughs> <laughs> I still <laughs> have my eggs that I you know, and I try to obviously, you know, go for as, you know, ethically farmed as possible, but, you know, I guess the takeaway there is you know, maybe if you even can't eliminate a certain type of uh, food, also just try to go with the one that's the most ethical, <laughs> whether that means, you know, whether ethically means environmentally or from a welfare standpoint, there's definitely, you know, different types of uh, meat that's being grown in terms of, you know, from both those types of perspectives.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the least, uh, you know, abiding by the utilitarian framework, the least amount of suffering. If abs- if you absolutely have to, for for the least exactly. amount of animals, uh, I, I agree with you. I think, um, you know, tapering off is is always the way to uh, way to go. I mean, I, I'm not saying meat eating is an addiction, but if it were an addiction, you know, you don't want to stop. You know, you don't want to stop cold turkey. To your point, yes. pot- potentially weaning off of red meat and pork and just you know sticking to to poultry. And the leaner proteins, which are better for you anyway, for a month or two, and then maybe seeing if you could go a week without eating chicken or, or, or poultry, and kind of investigating those solutions, um, those alternatives that we've spoken about, might be a good way to to make that transition. Um, so, absolutely, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up in a minute. Do uh, kind of summarize our, our takeaways here. Do you have any uh, last uh, notes for listeners, or um, you know, any anything else you want to share about what your experience being a vegetarian has? Um, taught you or, or imparted upon you, um, just you know, if people are in a similar position.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think as I said before, it's all it's all kind of relative. I, I don't think it has to, you know, categorical. I think anything you can do to to reduce uh, to either reduce you know animal suffering or reduce your carbon, you know, improve any other type of goal, I think is obviously preferable to not doing anything because you can't think you can. But aside from that, you know, I pretty much it, I, you know, uh, I think touched upon a, a lot of important topics and uh, I really appreciate uh
0: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Well, thank. I mean, th- 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 thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So just to kind of wrap up, make sure that uh, everyone kind of. Um, you know, take take away the, the same points that we discussed. So, so we discussed uh, Americans' uh, low rate of identification as vegetarians relative to other industrialized nations, um, and you know, the, really the the quandaries surrounding meat eating, whether it be um, you know animal agriculture contributing to global warming and fifty billion animals killed for food every year, whether it be the ethics of um, animal suffering. We went into some um, you know some of those numbers as well, or whether it be health, uh, you know, the health implications contributing to rates of heart disease. Um, Eric shared his uh, you know day to day experience um, building meals as a vegetarian, how he's able to get enough protein and other uh, you know nutrients. Um, and we did talk about forecasting the future of Impossible Burgers and Beyond Meats, and how we see meatless meats and plant based um, you know food options evolving, and hopefully getting that rate of five percent up in the years to come. Uh, So in the next few weeks, we actually have two exciting episodes planned uh, here on Nervous Habits. First, one of my longtime friends will be here for another bonus episode. I know those are always a lot of fun for for me and hopefully for you you guys as well. Then after that, uh, my sister, the psychology doctoral expert, will be coming back to dive into one of my favorite topics that we have yet to explore in the pod, and that is personality. What exactly is personality? How do our personalities form? how do we measure our personality, and how do you know if you have a personality disorder or if you're just really paranoid? We'll be exploring the Myers-Briggs test the Enneagram and answer the question of whether our personalities will change over time or whether they will remain the same forever. That's coming up in the next few weeks on Nervous Habits. Eric. Thank you so much for joining me um, for this episode of Nervous Habits. It was a lot of fun and I hope, I hope you enjoyed it as well. Keep writing in at nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com, nervoushabitspodcast at gmail.com. Hope that you, know, you, you learned a little bit this episode and when you're making dinner tonight, substitute in um, some meatless meat for that those chicken breasts. Um, thank you so much, guys, and stay nervous.